0: So is the extraordinary message of Easter still real? I would say an undeniable yes. Although I want to ask, what is that message, that extraordinary message? Admittedly, what you just saw is not like the typical feel of an Easter service video. Uh, And yet, when we talked about how to land this service, how to plan it, we said, you know, If the disciples, the original disciples, were sitting in the stadium seats today for our service, they would probably say, this is not at all what the first Easter was like. There was no band. There were no bunnies. It wasn't loud and celebratory. It wasn't exciting. On the contrary, it was quiet. It was tense. It was unclear. They would explain to us, you know, our world fell apart. Our dreams died. And we literally feared for our lives. That's what the gospel writers record. I'll read one of those accounts in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. He said, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, two men suddenly stood near them in a dazzling apparel. And the women were terrified bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb and reported all these to the eleven remaining disciples and to all the rest. And yet these words appeared to the disciples as nonsense and they would not believe. The 11 closest followers of Jesus, Judas having died, heard these words and they wouldn't believe it. John tells us when therefore was evening on that day, the first day of the week, Easter Sunday, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, they were hiding for their lives. If this is what they did to our master, what will they do to us? Mark says and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Likewise, Matthew says they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. Talk about a range of emotions, fear and great joy. We go through experiences at the time where we had that kind of a huge mix. And when we look at that first Easter and see the, the mood disconnect, It doesn't last long when we realize that the tensions and issues and struggles in their world are not unlike the struggles and the tensions reported on the news app on your phone. We live with civil unrest. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's depression and anxiety running rampant among our culture. Radical agendas are competing. There's economic uncertainty. For us, we look at our future. We say, is AI going to be something good or will it destroy us? We look at relationships like China and Russia and what they're forming and what does that mean? Iran and and Saudi Arabia and then the, the war in Ukraine. When will that end? Will there even be a nation left when it's over? There's rampant sexual confusion and pain and immorality in our culture. At the same time, there is an addictions epidemic. And there's a lack of safety in our schools, our churches, our universities, and our malls. All those things are the issues you left to step into a church service on Easter weekend, and they'll be waiting for you when you return. Easter service could be just a time out, a happy, hyped up hour of hope, and then when you leave, we now return you to your regularly scheduled universe, and how you're living. Unless, unless we realize that the troubled times that we live in are not unlike the troubled times those first disciples lived in, they hungered for hope. They, they longed for someone to save them. And that first Easter, they were satisfied by the extraordinary message and the still true extraordinary message of Easter. So to try to identify which message there were many on Easter is the most extraordinary. Go with me to the place where it's believed to have all begun. Almost four years ago, I had the privilege of going to Israel and visiting uh, that nation where the land of the Bible really occurs. And I remember we went to what is believed to be the garden tomb. We walked through this lush garden, and my heart started to pound in my chest. And this first shot here is a bunch of tourists that we're with waiting to go into what is believed to be the garden tomb. The window to the right of the door is where you could peek in on the body. The next slide shows that garden tomb without tourists. You can kind of get a better picture. And there's a sort of a stone trough in front of that door where the, the stone would have rolled back and forth in front of that tomb. Inside the tomb, uh, they have obviously a fence that you can't go into the actual area. And so I try to get a little closer and take a picture over the top of the rail. And the entrance is to the right of the, if you're looking at this, it's it's to the right. And then to the left there, that back chamber is where the body of Jesus would have been laid. And when he resurrected, the grave clothes would have been neatly folded in that back chamber. I went outside and was reminded and took this photograph that, that it is a garden tomb. It's a lush, beautiful area. And when we went there and saw that, I couldn't help, but I was overcome with emotion. I stood just back from this area. Quietly weeping, trying not to draw attention to myself, that this is the place where it all began. And so among the many messages of Easter, which one is the extraordinary one? The angel told the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. Matthew records that. Elsewhere in Matthew, he uses the idea of don't be afraid, talks about fear. Uh, In Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, then there they will see me. You look at the Gospel of Mark. Mark doesn't use the word fear or afraid, but Mark talks more about amazed, being amazed and bewildered. And he said in Mark 16, uh, don't be amazed if you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. John uses the idea of peace. And so John quotes Jesus, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And Jesus in the Gospel of John talks about us. He tells his followers, uh, because you have seen me, have you believed? And he says, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. We've not seen him with our own eyes, but we still put our faith and our trust. We believe. And Jesus said, blessed are you for that. Maybe the most amazing conversation that was sort of a message of Easter that if I could pick any conversation to be in the New Testament, it'd probably be this one. After he rose from the dead, after he's appeared to many people, the Gospel of Luke records a conversation Jesus had with his disciples. So now Jesus said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, many of the Old Testament books, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus and a handful of people, and He goes through the whole Old Testament and makes perfect sense out of it? You know, last year, after Easter, we did a series about just going through the Bible. We said every book of the Bible says, look forward to Jesus. Jesus walked them through that and helped them see how those verses and chapters pointed directly to Him. I would have loved to have heard that. But I would suggest that the extraordinary message of Easter, if there is one in particular, is what the angel said in Matthew 28, verse 6. They came to find his body, and they're bewildered and they're afraid. And the angel said, He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Those four words, what did he say? Chapters earlier, it's recorded uh, that he came to the the home of his friend Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus was close with all three of them. Lazarus fell ill. They sent word, please come and heal our brother. He didn't get there in time. Lazarus died. You can read the story in the Gospel of John. And, And so Jesus, standing outside Lazarus' tomb, is about to raise him from the dead. And Jesus said to Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What a grandiose claim. And then, the Bible, we already read that in the last days of Jesus leading up to his death, he told his followers that he would suffer at the hands of evil men, he would die and be buried and rise again. So, if Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life, preposterous claim. If He said whoever believes in Him will be resurrected to new life, and if He proved it by raising from the dead Himself just as He said, then that phrase, just as He said, means you can believe in Jesus to do everything He said just as He said. If you made the claim, I'm going to rise from the grave, there's no greater, more outlandish claim than that. If He did that just as He said, then I can look back at every claim and statement Jesus made in his entire life and say he will also do that just as he said. Would you say just as he said? said. So what did he say through his life? In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he makes a claim. He says, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Talking about what Satan wants to do to your life. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I can assure you that if Jesus said he's going to give you abundant life, he will do that just as he said. So what does an abundant life consist of? What does it look like? Well, first of all, for starters, it must mean that he's going to save and forgive you from your sins. That is the greatest need that we have from Jesus is to be forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our sins. And that is a universal need. I can prove that very quickly with a quick survey. How many of you are in an honest mood? You honest today? All right, it's Easter, okay. So answer this question. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Would you raise your hand? If your neighbor doesn't have their hand up, tell them you're lying right now. Just put it up. (laughs) All of us have sinned. The Bible says that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the dangerous phrase, the damning phrase. All of us have sinned, yes, to fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah, the prophet who prophesied about the birth of Christ seven centuries before he was born. Isaiah said that your sin creates a chasm, a wedge between you and God. And so if my sin keeps you from God and I live without God in this life, I will also live without him in the next. And that's called hell. And so Jesus brings this amazing news in a conversation with a religious man named Nicodemus in John chapter three, verse 16, one of the most famous verses. Jesus said, "God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, will not suffer in hell, will not be damned, but they will have eternal life. Jesus will forgive you of your sins." And if you have the wrong impression that Jesus is all about condemnation, no, verse 17, God did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And this same apostle John wrote a letter to the church, and he said, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the first dimension. The necessary prerequisite of of an abundant life is to be forgiven of sins, and you can be free and let go of the guilt and shame over the sins in your life. The second thing that Jesus promised us is that he will give you peace. Peace is something we all long for, and I read a study that alarmed me and kind of grieves me. It was done by the Pew Research Foundation, so they do pretty accurate searching and they looked at people of different age groupings and people in the age group eighteen to twenty-nine, they said, How often do you feel feelings of peace and spiritual well being? Eighteen to twenty nine said that twenty six percent of them said, I seldom or never feel peace or well being. Almost one over one in four. When you add to it, okay, how about if it's not seldom or never, how about if at least a handful of times a year, less than monthly, but, but throughout the year, another 24%, but 50% of people who are age 18 to 29, I rarely feel a sense of peace. Oddly enough, the next demographic, the next slice of age, from 30 to 49, it's even worse. 72% of them say, I rarely feel peace. Peace is something that hearts are longing for, that That's why what Jesus said is so essential that he'll also do. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. The world gives peace that's here today, gone tomorrow. It depends on circumstance. No, I give to you my peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And Jesus, for all who trust him, for all who follow him, will give you peace just as he said. Another thing the abundant life includes is He will give you joy. I wasn't surprised to read a study that people who are active in a church congregation like this, connected to each other, connected to a larger sense of purpose, we'll talk about that next weekend, have a, a, a higher reported sense of happiness and joy than people who do not. And Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy not circumstantial joy, my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Now, when Jesus talks about joy, it's not joy that's just based on good circumstances. His peace is not based on good circumstances. On the contrary, the peace, the Apostle Paul says, is a peace that doesn't make sense. You can have peace on the inside when all hell's breaking loose out here. And you can have a sense of joy even when the circumstances aren't all that joyful. And if Jesus said, my joy I give to you that your joy may be made full, if he said he will give you joy, he will give you joy just as he said. And then Jesus made an amazing claim. Jesus will set you free. He said in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If there is ever a time people need to be made free, it's now because there is a, an addiction pandemic. It dwarfs COVID-19, and it is more damaging and lethal to well-being and to spiritual life. When you look at addictions in our current nation, I was shocked to read that nearly half of all Americans, 46%, regardless of demographic, have a family member or close friend who is or has been addicted to drugs. You look at other addictions besides drugs and alcohol, which can be debilitating. Gambling is becoming uh, addictive proportions. And unfortunately, it's now as close as your phone. And when it comes to addictions, 80% of Americans gamble sometime throughout the year, and about 5% of those people who gamble uh, are at an addicted level. 750,000 young people aged 14 to 21 are addicted to gambling. Teenagers. And as with most of these vices, there is a a cluster of consequences that come with that. Gambling addiction statistics show a high incidence of certain types of mental illness, which include depression disorders, anxiety disorders, substance abuse disorders, and antisocial personality behavior. Doesn't stop there. Another epidemic addiction is pornography. Pornography. 40 million people in the United States use pornography regularly. 10% of our adult population is addicted to pornography, spending 10 to 12 hours a week or more involved with that. That's 25 million adults. I wish I could say the studies differentiate, and inside the church it's hardly existent, and outside it's not, but the case isn't true. And again, the cluster of things that come with pornography addiction include depression, anxiety, social anxiety, mood disorders, substance use disorders, memory problems, smoking and tobacco use. And as I've begun to talk about those addictions, some of your hearts started to beat faster and you've got a game face on, keep it there, but you know that that's you. And the good news is Jesus said, if you know me, I can set you free. And he said that in the Gospel of John, as I mentioned You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And he says something that's true about sin, which is why we're having such a, an epidemic, if you will, of addiction. Jesus said, well, in fact, before we even say it, we're going to prove what Jesus said. You already identified how many of you have sinned. Raise your hand again. All right, how many of us committed that same sin more than once? More than five times? Ten. I keep going like an auctioneer. Twenty. Okay, just... Why? Sin is habit-forming. Yes? That was a good time to say yes. Yes. It's addicting. That's nothing new. That truth has been around for thousands of years because Jesus said the one who commits sin is a slave to sin. And your pleasures become your bondage. But listen to the statement he makes. It It would be an egomaniac except that it's true. Jesus said that you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. Who is the truth? Earlier he said in that same gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says something that our culture finds offensive, but it's true. And he says, no man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And then as he he reiterates there, that who the Son makes free, you will be free indeed. And if Jesus said he'll make you free, he will make you free, just as he said. But understand this. Most of what Jesus talks about in following him in an abundant life, it is not biblically correct, as I've said many times, to say, well, me and God is enough. Uh uh-uh. Me and God and other believers as brothers and sisters of Christ, we're enough. And when it comes to being set free, taking those grave clothes off, as we saw in the Gospel of John with Lazarus, it often requires us to do that together. That's why I'm thrilled that we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And if you are dealing with hurts you can't get over, habits you can't break, hang-ups that just keep triggering you, then say enough is enough this Easter. And tomorrow, Monday, at 6 o'clock, show up at Door 2. We'll have dinner together. And there'll be a time of teaching and celebrating and other people on a recovery journey with you. Celebrate Recovery is there for you. And I've heard, just continue rave results and reviews about that. And it's also, I've been to the meetings, it's exciting, it's encouraging, and it's also for children. We have CR for kids up through fifth grade because when mom or dad is battling an addiction or battling a hurt or a hang up they can't get over, it often affects the home life. And if you have questions, you can also stop by the VIP room. There'll be people from CR there for you. But Jesus will set you free. And then finally, we could, we could do more. But I believe that in an abundant life, Jesus will choose to give you a life that matters. When it comes to a sense of purpose, one study recently found that only 25% of American adults report having a clear sense of purpose or fruitfulness about their life. And yet, a clear sense of purpose, living a fruitful life, is hugely good for you as a person. One study showed that uh, people who have a clear sense of purpose and living a fruitful life, their chance of death is like diminished by 15%. And having a sense of purpose, living a fruitful life, is good for your physical, mental, and emotional health. It is a key to happiness, one study quoted by Forbes says. When it comes to happiness, understand this. Happiness is not the right goal. My goal is to be happy. No, happiness is a byproduct. And doing the right things, pursuing the right life, is where happiness then is found. And Jesus said this in John fifteen sixteen: You did not choose me, but I chose you. Does that blow anybody away besides me? And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. When I was a kid, and I think it's still done some today, but on the playground at school, in the backyard, you know, on the street with our friends, we would often have a pickup game, kickball, baseball, basketball, whatever. How many of you ever, ever had a game where you chose sides? All right. If you weren't the captain, what was your one hope? I want to get picked. And, and then you went to, don't let me get picked last. Oh, the joy when you got picked, when they called your name. And when they called your name first, you kind of strutted your way over there, yeah, right. right? And you felt sorry for the kid that the captain's argued over. No, you take him. No, you take him, right? To be chosen. I got news for you, Christian. Let me reread that verse. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Chose you. Yeah, but I'm the one that chose to pray a prayer one day to give my life to Christ. Yeah, but to even know you needed Jesus, the Holy Spirit was tapping the shoulder of your soul, saying, hey, you need a Savior, and I'm choosing you. So as a believer, he chose you. He chose you, and he wants, to, he wants to show you how to live an abundant life, just as he said. He chose you because he wanted you to be forgiven of your sins, first time, every time, just as said as he said. He wanted to give you peace regardless of situations. He wanted you to have joy that won't go away. He wanted to set you free from addictions, just as he said, and to live a life that makes a difference and matters right where you are. And I'm going to ask every Christian to kind of give a testimony of affirmation. If Jesus has done those things in your life, just as he said, we just raise your hand real quick. Say, yep, I've experienced that. Every service. Thousands of people. So if you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, you're not following Him, how do I get to that place? How do I actually get my sins forgiven and then say yes to an abundant life that Jesus talked about? It's really simple. It's two words of instruction. And it takes me back to a couple places in the Gospels. Probably one of my favorite places is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus, after He rose from the dead and He's in his resurrected body has dinner on the seashore with his disciples and he takes a walk with Peter and John. And I remember reading this and how it impacted my own life years ago. And so when I was in Israel, I have in my phone, in the video section, a video. And all it is is I'm recording what it would have sounded like and the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm walking on that stony beach. And the the waves are just lapping there. And I picture Jesus talking to Peter and John. Because Peter, unlike the other 11, had an additional burden of horrendous guilt. You ever felt horrendous guilt? Just shame. Because Peter, when Jesus needed him the most, denied him three times. I don't even know him. Added profanity to be convincing. And Jesus looked at him across the courtyard. And 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 it's like Peter saw Jesus and knew, I've failed you horribly. Can you imagine how dark and agonizing those hours were when Jesus lay in the tomb and all Peter knew was I failed him? It doesn't surprise me when they say that they came to the tomb to see it was empty and John and Peter run to the tomb. John stops outside the tomb. Peter just runs right in and I hope it's somehow it's true. And it was. The tomb was empty. So in that conversation with Peter on the seashore, he basically talks to Peter and allows Peter to reaffirm his love for Jesus. And at the end of that conversation, he simply says to Peter two words, Peter, follow me. We're good. You're still in. Follow me. He didn't say follow me to a convenient life, follow me to a problem-free life. On the contrary, Peter ended up dying a martyr's death. But he said, Peter, I chose you. And the abundant life that's ahead of you is still ahead of you. And I'm with you. All you need to do is to follow me. And that invitation is the same for you today. If you haven't yet, if you aren't, Jesus simply says to you, whispers to your soul, follow me. You have to figure it out, get good enough. It is a matter of a prayer and a decision of faith. And this weekend, we've had over 100 people pray that prayer, make that decision. Make Easter 2023 their life-changing moment. And we want to pause in a word of prayer to allow you you to do that as well. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, we're going to pray a simple prayer together as a congregation in honor of you. And if you want to pray that prayer with us from your heart, saying yes to Jesus, it is your yes to Him choosing you and saying, follow me to an abundant life. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? And I'm going to ask everybody just to repeat this prayer with me. But if you're here today and you need Jesus, you need to start following Him. Then mean this from your heart and Jesus will say yes to you. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I'm grateful that you rose from the grave and you conquered death. I believe you are who you say you are. Please forgive me of my sins. Please be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Help me to grow to know you to love you and serve you and to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for saying yes to me and for choosing me. In your name I pray. Hello, we pray together for all those who in their heart prayed that prayer and said yes. Lord, we thank you for the transformation that's about to begin in their lives, and we pray for that anticipation to fill them. And God, I pray that CLC will be a loving church family to help them become all that you want them to be. We thank you, Lord, that you give us that abundant life, just as you said. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that when one person repents, all of heaven rejoices. Over 100 people are ready this weekend, plus all of you who just prayed that prayer. They are celebrating. Would you just give an ovation, of celebration on behalf of all of you who prayed that prayer? And the story doesn't end there at Easter. Jesus made a promise that someday I'm preparing a place for you called heaven and I'm coming back. So join us in this finale that basically celebrates the King Jesus.
1: ignition. They scourged him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They made him carry the very cross that he would be crucified to the place. And that day when he was nailed to the cross, he breathed his final breath. But we have confidence knowing that's not where the story ends. Pastor Stan read it. Three days later, they went to visit him and the
2: stone was
0: is risen. It's still true 2,000 years later. To those of you who made that decision to follow Christ, it's the biggest decision you'll make in your life. We don't want you to make that in a vacuum. You have questions. Okay, what do I do now? So when you leave at the doors, there'll be a table full of these bags. There's there are resources for you, as well as a gift to commemorate your decision. Just tell the person, I prayed the prayer. I said yes to Jesus. Either one. They'll give you that along with a QR code and the resources inside to know, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus? For the rest of you and for all of you, I hope you join us next weekend. We start our new series, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Purpose. Have a very happy Easter. Thanks so much for coming. God bless you. You're just Missed.